You're listening to the Root and Stem Podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. In this episode, we continue our chat with Andrew McConnell regarding the importance of implementing Indigenous knowledge in STEAM language and education. The language that we use to describe things really sets up the framework for thinking about stuff. Um, And I know, because I speak four languages, it really does create a paradigm of understanding the language that that you use in your mind to understand things, but then also the way that the language that is used to present things to you, what it it also allows for. And it's like, even the use of the word, I'll, I'll make it really simple. We'll talk about the word science. Does indigenous knowledge get described as science or not? It really depends on who you talk to, right? A lot of people would describe it only as scientific uh, once it has gone through a publishing method um, and a peer review method um, in the European model. The funny thing is this, is that if you've got somebody from a community, several people in the community who are telling you a story or giving you information, there is actually already been a publishing and peer review model applied. That is, if people in the community are allowing that to be um, discussed and retelling the story, um, and it's been agreed to by a group of people, it's already gone through peer review. It's just, it's it's oral. But that doesn't get seen as being scientific. And yet, the, the basis of science is observation over time um, and the ability to repeat something. In other words, it happens repetitively, right? Um, that's science, that's scientific method at its most basic level. A lot of people mistake technology for science. Technology is something different. A lot of technological advancements are based on scientific knowledge, electronics, right? Um, but the electronics themselves are not science, right? Science is the process of deriving knowledge from something that you can see. Um, or, yeah. It, Actually, yeah, it's always what you can see. Sometimes you have to see the effects of something, right? Um, you know, I'm thinking about quantum physics uh, as they're all trying to understand those particular pieces, right? Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of confusion with the language and how it gets used in popular culture versus how it gets used in more specific places, like in technical spaces, um, scientific spaces, the academy, uh, or community. Um, again, uh, it's been one of those long-standing issues that I've I've heard in many discussions I've had with people who are all, also indigenous about how our knowledge winds up only becoming science once somebody else starts talking about it. Uh, I know that uh, Harvard's been doing a huge study as of uh, late around um, the effects of relationships on well-being, and as an Anishinaabe person, I'm really trying to not roll my eyes at their research uh, because relationships is fundamental to our society and how we organize ourselves and how we describe ourselves and we know that relationships are key uh, probably because you know we've had a lot of broken relationships due to government interference and that sort of stuff and so we know what it means to lose those relationships but but it's been interesting because you know Harvard is publishing these reports I'm reading them in the New York Times and I'm just fascinated by how to everybody in 2023, this seems to be new learning. And meanwhile, for Anishinaabe folks, and from what I can tell from a lot of other Indigenous folks that I've spoken to, this is like a, 
yeah, of course it is. This is like the sun coming up in the east. That's that's understood for a social being. So so that's where you get confused with these understandings about language. Was it true before Harvard started doing the research? Or is it only true now? That's that's often the limitation of the language, right? Uh, and the language that's used to teach ideas uh, becomes really limiting to what is accepted. And of course, once something's accepted as science, um, then you got all sorts of other fun things that happen, right? Well, if it's scientific, it must be used for purposes of somebody else. Or we get in all that stuff we saw over the last three three years. You know, is science good? Is it not good? Um, it's very it's very interesting to watch how the language gets used. But people need to be much more thoughtful about how they use their words and which words they choose, uh, because it will make certain things possible, and it will make other things impossible in that space and time. And it and it can be used to elevate or diminish ideas, uh, depending on what we even declare to be scientific and what we declare to be folk knowledge, for lack of a better term. TDSB is the largest school board in the country. It's a massive school board, and it's a lot of work to work with those teachers to get them to a point where they can work with these texts. Because again, for most of them, um, they've not had access to texts by Indigenous authors. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. And again, even this concept of mandatory is really interesting, right? Because English is actually a mandatory subject in Ontario schools in grade 9, 10, 11, and 12. It's the only subject you have to take every year of high school. Um, so it's already mandatory because it's English. The only thing that we've changed up is the source of the authors in one grade, grade 11. Prior to that, like grade 9, mandatory English. Grade 10, mandatory English. Grade 12, mandatory English. The only thing we changed in grade 11 was you know, we're telling people, you know what? You need to engage with Indigenous authors. We're going to do it here in this grade. And we're also going to do them all together. Some people will will push back and say, well, we should do an Indigenous author in grade 9, an Indigenous author in grade 10, an Indigenous author in grade you know, 11, and another one in grade 12, and see them in context with all the other voices. And I push back on this one because I say there's something to be gained by seeing Indigenous people in relationship with other Indigenous people. And I, I'm privy to that in my lived experience, right? A professor that I've worked with at a York University quite a bit, Susan Diallo, she pointed out to me once, uh, you know, Indigenous people learn to be Indigenous by being with other Indigenous people. Because you start to get an understanding of what you share and then what is specific to you as a human being. And that's kind of the really cool thing about this grade 11 course is because, you know, you start to get an understanding of what is common amongst Indigenous authors that is the relationship to the land, um, you know, their contemporary existence and relationship with other non-native folks, and then also their relationship to their own personal histories and lived experiences, right? Uh, and you start to get a better sense of who Indigenous people are because you see them in relationship to other Indigenous people. Very often what happens is that when you bring in one Indigenous author amongst others, is they stand up as the Indigenous author. Um, like, which very happens quite a bit for art with uh, Norval Morisot. And Norval Morisot, for non-native folks, tends to be the measure of Indigenous art. And it's like Norval Morisot is Norval Morisot. That's his art. He's definitely Indigenous, but there's so many other Indigenous artists, and they don't look the same as Norval Morisot. Um, and so if you're going to study Indigenous art, sure, look at Norval. 
But then, you know, Daphne Ojig, look at uh, the work of uh, Christy Belcourt, look at the work of Kent Munkman, right? That's what you want to do. And, and we really need to do the same thing for literature. So yeah, it's necessary. And, and, and again, these ideas are mandatory. English is mandatory. Um, I think, again, the idea that it's, you wouldn't do this in a country with an indigenous population just seems strange to me, right? Uh, if you think that we're studying Shakespeare in um, every high school, uh, coast to coast to coast, it's, it's fascinating um, because this isn't England. He never wrote about North America. Um, and uh, the world that he wrote for and in doesn't exist anymore. Uh, if anything, when you're reading those indigenous texts, you're engaging with the contemporary world. Uh, the other piece, too, is that all those texts generally are written by Canadians. So for Canadian students studying Canadian schools, you are actually reading, you know, certainly the characters and you know some of these stories will seem a little different to you because they're indigenous people, but the the land that you're you're hearing of and seeing is one that you inhabit and therefore it's an, it's quite relatable as well as the language is contemporary right um so you know it is a good thing because then at the very least uh when you engage with indigenous knowledge in other spaces you'll start to recognize there's you know its origins and its relationship to other ideas that are decidedly from indigenous populations um so that's, I, I think it's a good idea, but I do recognize that it's also, it's, it's a long haul as again, those teachers who are being asked to do this work, um, they're also having to do a lot of learning themselves. And there's one thing we don't get a lot of in education. We don't get a lot of time for our own learning. Um, and that, that I think is actually, uh, that is a problem with our education system. Uh, it's not enough time for the teacher to perfect, to learn more, to practice, and to have time to work with colleagues to better prepare themselves for any subject matter. You know, it's not just Indigenous content. This happens all the time. You're living on Indigenous lands. You are in relationship with Indigenous people. If you don't have room in there, then I think you need to kind of take a look at what you're teaching and say, is this relevant here and now? It's There is it's in your curriculum documents. It's there. Uh, I would sometimes ask people to examine their legacy practices uh, and look back and say what no longer belongs because it's not relevant to what we are today and who we are today. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, in courses I've taught, whether they were indigenous, you know, related studies, um, there was always indigenous content because I was in the room. Uh, and and I was able to make connections to indigenous pieces within what I was working on. There is room. I'm advocating for the inclusion of indigenous content alongside non-indigenous content. So when I was a little kid, there was an idea out there that uh, dinosaurs had two brains. I, I remember being taught that very clearly in, in grade three. Uh, uh, but of course, we now know that's not true. Uh, and, and, and that is that is basically what we need to kind of examine. We need to look back at what we're teaching and say, you know, what is relevant now? You know, what, what do we know to be true now? And, and make the space that way, right? Open up our practice and, um, and, and, and really deeply consider what is we're teaching right now and why we're teaching it. And, and recognize that 
in the past, indigenous people were excluded because, you know, we weren't seen as important. Um, we weren't seen as even somebody was, was going to survive painted as being historical. And yet here we are, uh, we are contemporary. We exist in the now and we're an integral part of this space and place. Curriculum doesn't, at least in Ontario, it doesn't tell you, you must teach this book or this book or this author. Um, those things don't actually exist in our curriculum documents. So there's a lot of space uh, for teachers to make those decisions. What I would point out is that um, authors that should be used should be ones who are recognized by their communities. Uh, that's the first thing, because we've had issues in the past with people writing as Indigenous folk or not. So there's that one. Um, and there should always be a preference for local first and then moving out from there. And I would say that for both non-Indigenous and Indigenous writings. Uh, you know, you should be teaching your students first about where they are uh, and then allowing for them to make connections out beyond that. I mean, my favorite authors, if I'm thinking science, my favorite authors are Len Aikenhead out of Saskatchewan because he's done so much good work on how to work with community and how to bring Indigenous knowledge into science science rooms. And then the other person that I, I often quote is uh, Greg Cajete, who is Tewa uh, out, uh, out of New Mexico. Because um, he's done so much thinking about uh, Indigenous science and what it means to practice Indigenous science. And again, those, those understandings of how it's practicing relationship with the community um, you know, and that, you know, it's checked with community to, to make sure it's true, right? There's your peer review pieces that, uh, that exist. Um, but those are just too off the top of my thinking science. I mean, when it comes to contemporary literature, right? Wabagisha Bryce, Alicia Elliott, those are just too right off the top of my head. Uh, but again, those are, those are authors that I can engage with and that I enjoy, right? Daniel Heath Justice writes some amazing things that I also enjoy. But that's a personal preference, and there's so many other authors. And, and I would really love for students to explore a variety of Indigenous authors and find the ones who speak to them. Because, you know, humanity is so much more complex than Indigenous, non-Indigenous. Especially in science, and it's interesting, because when I read science curriculum, I, I start making initial connections right away to what I know. Uh, through experience. And so I think that really that's that's where it lies is it's that community piece and getting in contact with who is in your local community um, and starting to figure out where your expectations show up. Like one thing that we're currently trying to work towards in my area is uh, we're, we're trying to develop Indigenous gardens, not as acts of reconciliation, but as acts of building a garden and plant knowledge out of community. Um, and then teachers to work and find out how that knowledge basically teaches the expectations aren't as they are, right? Like, you know, in the Anishinaabe community, we talk a lot about water um, and water cycles. And I, that exists solidly within several places of the um, elementary and intermediate uh, curriculums when it comes to science and, and uh, ecological knowledge. So that really is, is what, it, what it is. It goes back to that, you know, my comments earlier about pedagogy right? Uh, we start with the action and draw the theory out 
afterwards. It comes out of that. And so very often I would say for science teachers, it's like, you know, what could be the action? What could you create with your class, with the support of somebody from indigenous community, possibly even somebody who's recognized as an indigenous scientist? Because uh, there are many people who work in, you know, Western sciences who are indigenous who can do those pieces. Um, but how can you work with them and your class to do something and draw out the theoretical expectations that exist within your curriculum? That to me is the right way to go. And and I mentioned, you know, Aikenhead earlier. That was a lot of the work that he has done in Saskatchewan uh, with this with uh, their science curriculum. And it's something to definitely be looked at. Those models are exemplary in my mind of how science teachers work with community folks to teach students about the real world around them, which really is the value of science, right? Coming to an understanding of your world uh, and being able to make predictions about what will happen tomorrow, right? Now, what does it mean when a storm comes in from the east versus the storm coming in from the west, right? There's meteorological phenomena in that. Uh, and an understanding of how the larger world works with jet streams and heating and cooling of earth and all those things, as well as the traditional knowledge of, you know, where does your weather normally come from in your space? Because um, that's useful knowledge to, to, to students uh, to pay attention to. To me, that's where it is. It should always be about uh, science is something we do. Uh, and then we write about it afterwards. For more knowledge and stories from STEAM professionals, check out the Root and Stem magazine at pingua.com or more episodes of the Root and Stem podcast available to download on your streaming platform of choice.